Thanks again for being here this morning. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to read verses Hebrews 4:14 4, through Hebrews chapter 5 verse 10. And as you're turning and getting there, this is the part of our service where we sit, or you sit, I stand, and I say some words. And that's significant. Because somehow, through a human being standing up and saying words from the Word of God, we believe that God speaks through those words. And not because of me, but because of what God said. I'm going to read a quote that I read this week. Maybe as we pray, and you many pray for me, and many pray for yourselves as you listen, they might help you pray even more for us, and even more as we listen. It's from a guy named Tillich in a book he wrote called The Trivialization of God. He says this, The preacher may be delivering a half-baked sermon, thrown together with as much doubt as faith. And the hearers may be distracted by strained efforts to quiet gassy stomachs or irritated from fighting with a spouse on the way to church or worried about a visit to the doctor. But when the gospel is preached, to use Bonhoeffer's image, Christ walks amongst his people. It's the miracle of Christmas all over again. Christ clothes himself in humanity, spurning the language of angels to speak with the tongues of mortals. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, thanks for the hope and the help of your word. Lord, thanks for the privilege to stand and speak your word. So God, I pray this now as we read your word, as we talk about your word, help us to see Jesus this morning. I pray that you would do what you say you do, and that, Spirit, you would walk amongst us, healing us, encouraging us, and helping us. I pray that you give us your grace, and I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hebrews 4.14 says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weaknesses. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God Just as Aaron was, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, 
Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this, we have much to say. As Corey mentioned, for many people, this is a blue Christmas. In the 1950s, a young uh, up-and-coming rock star, or maybe he was already, had come up, walked into a studio, and was doing a Christmas album, and he decided to do this song called Blue Christmas, and he didn't want to do it, wasn't that interested in doing it, nobody in the band was all that interested in doing it, they said, let's just get over it, and so they just did it, they got through it, and Elvis Presley sang it, and it's become a hit for 70 years now. I'll have a blue Christmas without you which is how many people experience Christmas. It's a blue Christmas because of grief, because of relationship issues, because of conflicts you're having at work, because of conflicts you're having at family, because of some situation that happened 15 years ago, some situation that happened 20 years ago, because tornadoes come two weeks before Christmas and take out hundreds of people. Because there's damage, because we live in brokenness. Job says in Job 5, 7, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upwards. But we as Christians, we can have a blue Christmas in confidence and with confidence in Jesus Christ. The goal of Satan is to destroy faith. This is what Jesus said when he talked to Peter. He said, Satan has has desired to devour you. He wants to shake you. He wants to literally rip your faith apart. But I prayed for you, Jesus said in Luke chapter 22. And so this week, as I was preparing this message, my mind all week long, even before the tragedies of this past weekend down south, and from hearing many stories of people, was on you who might be having possibly a blue Christmas, or you're walking into the season with some loss, or you're facing difficulty, or you are struggling with all kinds of issues that can create a blue Christmas. I was on the phone with someone yesterday, a uh, Friday night actually, who was, for 45 minutes, they talked to me, and how are you doing? And they just shared this, and they shared this troubling situation, this troubling situation, this troubling situation. I thought we'd get a gap, catch my breath, and then they'd say, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you this. And they'd tell me another situation of struggle, struggle, s- struggle. Which is the reality for, for many people. Which is the reality for often many people, even in this time of of the season. And actually it was the reality for the context of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written to Christians who were suffering from severe trials, severe persecution, severe troubles, and they were wondering and questioning and even thinking about leaving the faith and wandering away from the faith. But as Job says right after, he talks about the natural reality of troubles for humans. He says in verse 8, As for me, I would seek God, 
and to God I would commit my cause. The way to battle a blue Christmas, the way to build your faith is to behold Jesus. This is the whole point of Hebrews. Hebrews 3, 4, says, Hebrews 3 says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him. The goal of this Advent series from last week to this week and the next week is that we don't want to lose the wonder of Jesus. We want to look at Jesus in his roles. And the way we've been doing that, and are trying to do that, is with the wiper blades of his offices that the Bible talks about, his prophet, priest, and king, the three offices that were uh, talked about in the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus. And as we are get fogged up in our cars, and the rain's coming down, and we can't see very well, and we need to kind of keep clearing the path for whatever's going on in our lives, we need to see Jesus. And we need to highlight and not miss the wonder of Jesus, Jesus Christ the Messiah. He is the anointed one. Just as the prophets were anointed in the Old Testament, the priests were anointed, and the king was anointed. The prophet, priest, and king. In the Old Testament, they are all three different positions. Different individuals held those positions. But for Jesus Christ, he holds one office of prophet, priest, and king. And Satan wants to cause communication confusion, which is why we needed a prophet. We needed to hear from God. And Satan said, has God said? And Jesus' life proves, yes, God has said. And last week we looked at Jesus as the prophet. He's the word. And this week we're going to look at Jesus is our great high priest. This anointed position. What does it mean that Jesus is our high priest. How do we not lose the wonder of Jesus by seeing him as our priest? How can we clear the path? How can we build our faith, even in the midst of maybe a blue Christmas, by seeing the importance that Jesus is our great high priest? First of all, we need to know that we need a priest. We, we, we need a priest. The purpose of the Old Testament as you read it sometimes, it can, be, it can be hard to understand all these different connections, all these different books, all these different stories, all these different individuals. But the purpose of a Old Testament prophet was he represented God to man. That was the job of the prophet. He said, this, this is what the Lord has said. Thus, this God has said this. And so the prophet's job was to represent God to man. But the priest's job was to represent the people to God. Because of God's holiness, because of God's character, and because of who God is, man in their sin is alienated and separated from God. So we need a priest. We needed a mediator. We needed someone who could represent the people to God. And the problem is, is because of sin. And our sin separates us from God. Left to yourself, you can't naturally just come to God. God can speak to you. But we needed just to have the relationship that God designed and desired as he had in the Garden of Eden is impossible because of sin. Our, our sin separates us 
from God. The Bible says a definition of sin is missing the mark. It's, it's aiming for something and missing it. That's what sin is. Sin is saying this is where God said he, we are supposed to be. We miss that mark by sin and our sin separates us from God. But you say, I'm not really sure I believe that I can't just come to God um, without having to deal with my sin. I'm not even sure I'm a, I'm a sinner. Isaiah 59 I would just encourage and point you to. I'm going to read the first 13 verses of Isaiah 59 that tells us why we needed a priest, why we needed somebody to represent us as the people, as humanity, to God. 59, Psalm, Isaiah 59, 1 says this, Behold, the, land, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. It's not God who has the problem. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one utters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs. They weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies. And from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing, men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity, and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Therefore, justice is from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold, darkness. And for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon in the twilight among those in full vigor. We are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice but there is none for salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. That's a description of our world, isn't it? That's a description of people who are just moaning and groaning and roaring like bears, looking at the world, getting frustrated, then struggling for peace, can't finding it, struggling for joy, can't finding it. And it's not that God's the problem. God's able to hear. God's able to save. His ears are not dull, but our iniquities, our sins, our missing the mark with where God told us to be has caused a separation between us and God, and we, our sins have hidden his face from us, which is why a number of years ago I had a young woman come into our, my office. Actually, she was closer to her early 30s, sat down, talked about her life, was struggling with her issues, and she said to me, I just want to know, why does nothing in my life work? Why does nothing ever work 
out. And the reality was, is because she didn't want to listen to God's ways. She didn't want to listen and follow God's path. She didn't want to do it His way. And she was growling and struggling and dealing with all these things and couldn't figure out, why does just that life work out for me? And all along, the simple answer was, it was your sins, and it is your sins that are separating you from God. It's, it's not a problem with God. We need a priest. We need a representative of the people, and the reason why we need it is because God wants us to enter into his rest, it says in Hebrews. And he wants us to, to see and be, see him revealed to us. Verse, Hebrews 4, 11 says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that one may not fall into some sort of disobedience. And the word of God is living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. This is what it does. It reveals to us that we need a priest. The problem is not God. The problem is us. We've been separated by God by our iniquities. We needed help. We needed somebody to represent us to God. This is what they knew all through the Old Testament. It's like God set up the priest and God set up the, the, the high priest. And it was the practice of the priest to help people get access to God. And, and, and they, would, they would come to God and the priest would do the work of offering the sacrifices for sin because... The Bible says there is, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And it was the job of a particular group of priests, the high priest, who once a year would go into the Holy of Holies before God. He would offer a sacrifice for himself. He'd cover the, the, the altar with sprinkled blood on it. And then he would enter into the Holy of Holies and to the presence of God at that time. And they would tie a rope around him as he would enter in there on the Day of Atonement. And he would go in, and because if he had any sin, he would drop dead, and they'd have to drag him out. But once a year, the high priest, it was his job to walk in, to make sacrifice, enter the Holy of Holies, and make the atonement for sin for the people. This was his job, and this is what Jesus is for us. We need a priest. As sinners, you need a priest. It's not God. It's you and your iniquity that has separated you from God. But the good news for us is that we have a high priest in Jesus. That's the message of Hebrews. We have a high priest in Jesus. From Hebrews chapter 4 through Hebrews chapter 10, it's all about who Jesus is as our priest, that he's greater than Aaron, that he's the greater, that he's the great high priest. And as you read Hebrews chapter 4 through 10, I would encourage you, this is where you, you got to do some homework. I would encourage you to do this, to, to go read through Hebrews 4 through 10. It might seem a little confusing at first, but keep plowing through. Put your mind to these realities. Put your mind to the truth of who Jesus is as our priest. It, it will build your faith. It will strengthen you to see who you have in Jesus Christ. You need a priest, and you have a high priest 
And Jesus, but how, how did you become a high priest? I mean, what, what was it that was the job description? If you wanted your son or your daughter, if your son to be a, become a high priest, what, 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 what would they need to know? And Hebrews 5, verses 1 through uh, what we read, verses 10, it just it gives, pretty simply, just, it gives the, the, the job description, if you want, of what and how you became a high priest. It says in verse 1, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men. You had to be chosen from among men. You had to be human to be a priest. You had to be a, a person. You had to be human to be the high priest. And then you had to care for the needs of people. In verse the second half, who was to act on the behalf of men. You had to care for humanity. And then you have to have compassion towards humanity, it says in verses 2 through 3. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weaknesses. And then you have to be called by God. It says no one takes this honor for himself, but only one who is called by God, just as Aaron was. And then you were, as to be the high priest, you were in a class kind of by yourself. There was only a certain amount of high priests. Not all the priests were high priests. This is how you became a high priest. And then the reality is Jesus then is that perfect high priest. He is the Son of God, Son of Man. This is what we celebrate at Advent. This is what we celebrate at Christmas, that God became human. He took on human flesh. He he had to be human so that we could have help. It's the incarnation It's God with us. And this is when the story of Christmas, in many ways, can just become just almost mythical to many people. It's not mythical. This is all based in historical realities. If you question these realities, question them, but question them with the integrity to search it out, that God became human flesh. Jesus was born of a virgin. We know who his earthly father was. We know where he was born in Bethlehem. There is these historical realities just that Jesus became, and Jesus was God. He was God in the flesh, and he was selected by God to be the high priest. It says in Psalm 110 talks about here the son will be chosen to be the king. He was then submissive to God. A high priest had to carry the cares of humanity to God. And he had to be compassionate towards humanity. And Jesus was that. He was the son of God, the son of man. He was selected by God and he was submissive to God's will. John 4:34. Jesus said this. He says, "My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work." Which means what Jesus was like, "I love doing this. This is what this is what fuels me." Is like is coming in, taking on human flesh, following the will of the God, following the will of God. This is what fuels me. This is what feeds me. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work, to be the great high priest. But in that, he was very submissive to God because in Matthew 26, 39, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He said, it's my food to do this. 
But when the pressure came, he was 100% God, 100% human, and he prayed to his father, if it's possible, if there's another way, let, let it pass over me. Don't, uh, don't make me go through it. But then he says, but let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He's the perfect high priest because he was absolutely submissive to God and he was absolutely sympathetic to man. The high priests were very sympathetic. It says this, they, they would offer sacrifices for sins, and the high priest could deal gently with the ignorant and with the wayward because they understood that they were sinners as well. And the high priest would have to offer sacrifices for his own sin. So would someone come into the camp and they'd be just a complete, just a mess, and the, the high priest would be able to say, look at their sin and be like, I, I, okay, I get it. Because I, I'm, I'm a sinner as well. Jesus is able to do that with us because he is unbelievably sympathetic to us. Jesus deals with us gently because he took on human flesh. He knows what it's like to be human. He, he experienced it. And this is how he deals with us. He deals with us gently. Whatever the belief or thought you have about God, or God's out to get me, I've failed God so many times, God's gonna, he's, he's just going to be done with me. The reality is, Jesus is the perfect high priest. He, he's, he just deals with us simply. Dane Ortland said this, Jesus can no more bring himself to stiff arm you than the loving father of a crying newborn can bring himself to stiff arm his own dear child. Kevin Kiddo just had a new baby brought into their family. He loves his baby. He's gonna, baby starts to cry. Kevin's a loving dad. He's not gonna stiff arm him. He's not gonna shove him off and say, leave me alone. He's gonna come to him, care for him, and deal what, and take care of what he needs. This is how God deals with us. He, he, he deals with us that way like a loving father with a crying newborn. He's not gonna stiff arm us. He's sympathetic to us. And Jesus was set in a, new, a unique class after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is this unique, the unique priest that came up in the Old Testament. Nobody knows his background. Nobody knows where he was. But Abraham offered a sacrifice to him. So he's different than any other of the high priests. And Jesus is different as well. He is this high priest that's not like any other high priest. When Jesus died on the cross, and he tore the veil open, the Holy of Holies. Jesus didn't go into just the Holy of Holies. He, he entered the heavenlies by his ascension. And he's sitting down at, his, the, at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. You need a priest. And you have a high priest in Jesus. But you can hope in Jesus as the great high priest. That, that may have been all great stuff, hopefully. But, but so what? What does that do for us? What's the significance of Jesus Christ as our great high priest? The context of Hebrews is for people who are struggling. They're in deep persecution. They're were, they were shaken in their faith. They were, they were considering leaving 
the faith. And the author of Hebrews spends most of the book talking about Jesus as the great high priest to keep them in the faith, to help them in their faith, to grow them in their faith. The significance of Jesus Christ as our high priest is to give us assurance and to help us in the midst of a blue Christmas, to give us the assurance that we need. And first of all, the fact that Jesus is our high priest allows you to pass your final. We, we have a college student right now getting ready to do finals this week. It's on our minds as a family is, is finals. And this is what the assurance of Jesus as our, our prior priest does. There's a final that we all have to deal with. I was reading, uh, I was in a bookstore a couple weeks ago, and I picked up a book read, written by a well-known actress, who's kind of an activist as well, and so I just started to flip through the book, and I'm reading it, and my, my view of her has kind of been negative at times, and so I'm, so I'm starting to flip through her book, and I'm reading it and reading it, and the more I read it, I'm like, I, it's like she gets it. She's, she's describing all the problems of humanity. She's describing the pain. She's describing the issues. She's almost declaring that we all have a sin issue. There's a brokenness in the world. And I'm with, I'm with her all the way. And she gives some explanations on how she thinks that the world can be changed by that. But the problem with all of that, and even is the fact that she can recognize the problem, and that, there's, that people can diagnose that there is a problem, and give some helps to survive part of the problem, but at the end of the day, we all die. That's the final. You, you, can, you can have great plans to survive this, but, the, but there, there's a final coming, and the fact that Jesus is our high priest gives us the ability, if we are in Christ, to pass the final to life and eternal life, that we are no longer separated from God. By a God who knows us. J.I. Packer said, There is a tremendous relief in knowing God loves. God's love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery can disillusion him about me. The hope that we have in Jesus is that Jesus entered our world, he paid for our sins on the cross, and he rose again so that we can have life in Christ. That we can have eternal life, not be separated by him. The priests in the Old Testament, the high priest, it says, it says in, in chapter 7, that they would have loved to continue, but they died. And a new priest would have to come in. And they would just do this repetitively. They'd offer sacrifices for sins, and then they would go back to the end of the line, wait their turn for their time to go back to the temple and offer sacrifices for sin. It was constantly repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. And then they'd die, and a new high priest would have to come up. But Jesus is not like them. He is a great high priest who rose from the dead and is sitting now at the right hand of the Father. And it was his one payment for sin. And that's what's going to get you through the final, is what do you believe about Jesus? And are you with Jesus? Are you trusting in Jesus alone? Are you with him? A couple of years ago, I was with my cousin who had a boat on, uh, called the Windy, the Windy 2 on, on, on Navy Pier, and it was a, he chartered this boat around. And on the backside, I spent the night on it one night, 
And it was late at night, and I'm walking to the boat by myself, and my, my cousin's in the boat, Captain Bob, he's down there doing his thing. And uh, so I get on the other side of the Navy Pier, get ready to step into it. And as soon as I step into it, about three of Chicago's finest come running after me. No, they're yelling at me. And some of the Navy Pier guys, they're all around me trying to tell me, no, you can't be in there. No, you can't be in there. And I panic for a moment. And I just yell out, Bob? And Bob comes around the corner, and he just says, yeah, he's with me. And I get into the boat. This is what we have in Christ. That's the question. When it comes to the final, at your death and you stand before God, the question is going to be, are you going to say Jesus? And is Jesus going to say, yeah, he's with me? Based on everything that he did for you. Having Jesus as our great high priest allows us to pass the ultimate final, but it allows us also to function in our faith. Hebrews 8, 1 through 3 says, this, this is what we are. We have such a great high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up for man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Having Jesus as our great high priest not only allows us to pass the ultimate final, but it allows you to function in your faith. We are the body of Christ as the church. Christ is the head. And then we are, we are the ones that are doing the works of Christ. We are the ones who are offering the gifts and sacrifices. So when you gather to worship, when, when, you, when you gather to worship, that's part of you functioning as the faith. That's why it's important to gather in worship and to see other people and to offer sacrifices and to encourage them. When we sing, it is offering sacrifices in praise to God, which is why the gathering of the body, the, people, the gathering of the church together is important. It's important that we see each other, talk to each other before the service, after the service, and offer sacrifices and praise, praises for them because we have a great high priest who's making intercession for us. It, it allows us to function in our faith, but here's really why. that you can hope in Jesus as your great high priest. It allows you to have assurance in your fears and in your frustrations, in your blue Christmases. Knowing that Jesus is our high priest, it gives us unbelievable assurance in our fears and in our frustrations. We have a God in Christ. We have a high priest in Christ who can sympathize with us. Not just empathize with us, he can sympathize with us. He knows what it's like to be in your shoes. He, he knows what it feels like. And, and not only does he know what he feels like, all the struggle that you're going through, all the temptations, all the problems, we never feel the full force of them because usually we cave in. We start the fight. We, we get into conflict. We, 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 we sin. But Jesus wasn't that way. He was absolutely sinless. So all the temptations that came to him, he took them full force. He felt every aspect of it, and he never sinned. He he endured it to the end so he can sympathize with us, and we have great security because of it. John Bunyan would write about this, and it would blow blow his mind. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress. This is what we have in Jesus Christ. In your grief, in your frustrations, in your fear, in your questions, in your family conflicts, the fact that Jesus is our high priest who sympathizes with us 
and knows what we are going through, who's taken the full force of sin and temptation and won it, we, we have security. He's not going to let you go. If you fail, he's not going to let you go. He's not going to get tired of you. He's not going to say, I'm done with you. He's not going to say, I've worked with you for years now on this. You know what's going to happen, and you did it again. I'm done. That's not what Jesus is going to do, because he endured it to the end. And he went and sat down, and now he's praying for you. He's making intercession for you, and you have great security. So when you have all these doubts and all these questions and all these lies in your head and saying that you're not doing it the right way, you failed again, he's not going to keep loving you, you're never going to get this figured out, he's going to be done with you, it's a lie. He's not going to let you go. John Bunyan put it this way. He says, no wait, we say cautiously approaching Jesus. You don't understand. I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, he responds. You know most of it, sure, certainly more than what others see, but there's perversity deep down inside me that is hidden from everyone. I know it all. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past, it's my present too. I understand, Jesus says. But I don't know if I break free of this any if I'll break free of this anytime soon. That's the only kind of person I'm here to help. The burden is heavy and heavier all the time. Then let me carry it. It's too much to bear. Not for me. Don't you get it? My offenses are directed towards others and they're directed against you. And Jesus says that I'm the one most suited to forgive them. But the more of the ugliest in me you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. I will never cast you out, Jesus says. This is our hope because of the high priest that we have. And Jesus says, and God says in Psalm 63, 8, that hope for a blue Christmas, I would encourage you to do this. Let your soul cling. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Robert Burry McChaney years ago wrote to a friend who was struggling with problems, going through difficulties, and he said this to him. He said, learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Let the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart. This might be a blue Christmas for you. It might be filled with doubts, fears, frustrations, anxieties, sin, but if you're in Christ, if you know Jesus, he is our great high priest who is sitting at the right hand of the Father, who loves you, and he's making intercession for you, he's praying for you, he's caring for you, and he's just saying, look to me, look to me. For every look you look to yourself, look ten more at Christ, and let your soul cling to him. Let his right hand uphold you.